Sean, are we going to wait 18 years between episodes of Countdown to Five? No way! Well, that's what Lucasfilm did. Putting nearly two decades between (laughs) Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And it's the latter of these films we'll focus on on our show today as we count down to the fifth Indiana Jones movie with you. Paul Preston and the movie guys here along with my stalwart partner in crime with whom I have tickets to see The Dial of Destiny on opening night, technically the Thursday before the opening day listed yeah, everywhere, but yeah. we're going Thursday, June 29th. It's Sean Blodgett. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Good to see you. Man, I'm looking forward to it. It's just going to be a blast, and uh, I have to tell you- He's so excited. I'm so excited. I, ah, uh, I have to tell you, thank you for doing this. I, I have enjoyed this, this journey, this process. I'm really looking forward to talking about Kingdom of the Crystal skull today i've got a lot to say about it um and but it's it's been such a pleasure to revisit these films and to really get excited about dial of destiny i was already excited but now i'm really 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 looking forward to twist my arm this this is what it's been like doing the ford fiesta also available at the movieguys.net as adam (laughs) and i watch every uh, every harrison ford movie from the beginning to the end yes and you just start Getting hyped for the next one, you know, yeah. like was I? I hadn't seen The Fugitive in a long time, but we just watched that recently for the show, yeah. and just the, these hype trains that you do for whatever just get you really psyched. So yeah, this has been a great hype train for indie, and again, I don't need convincing to do this. <laughs> well, and I will say this too to to just add to it all. Uh, as a filmmaker, it's also been a nice deep dive into you know I mentioned early on, you know, just learning more about Steven Spielberg. Diving in more to the process of these high-budget, complicated type of movies. I mean, just the amount of people, the amount of skills, the amount of technology, the amount of creativity. It's it's amazing. It's There's not yep. even a word to describe how amazing it is, I think. Like, don't like Crystal Skull. A lot was riding on it, and a lot of people had to work at their highest level. Achieve what you think they did, Ooh. but it, no, you cannot deny the work. Hot. The work involved. <laughs> All right, well, spe- well, what's hot? It's hot because we're here in the valley in the mighty Admirals Club. I salute you, sir! As you yes. were. Burbank, California. And as of this taping, yep, we're two weeks out from the Dial of Destiny on June 30th. I know, yeah. I know, I know. We're getting close, we're getting close, and, and sorry we've been a little behind, but we're, we're going to make it. Yeah, but, but Sean, speaking of the new movie, do we have any updates? Of course, it? yes, of course. Yeah, we're, there's a we're new in the home stretch, yeah, right, of here's, Yeah, we're getting there. All right, so there's a new clip out there for those who want to see it. It features Helena and Indy in a cave, so yay, a cave! Okay, very, very indie. Very indie. Uh, they're clearly trying to solve puzzles to get to the next thing. So, yay, trying to solve puzzles. Um, so, That's you know, what he I, does. Mean, I mean, it's all very, it's all very indie. And I think they're getting that that right. So, good stuff. Check um, boxes. Good. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a, a stupid should we punch Nazis debate, and Ford is quoted as saying indie would quote, push other people out of the way to get in the first punch, end quote, hashtag respect. Uh, (laughs) I mean, look, we're talking about, first of all, we're talking about movies. Yes, for one, right. (laughs) Secondly, really, we're having this 
question about I mean I just can't anymore anyway um, I think no matter what you believe movie Nazis we should punch that's for sure absolutely (laughs) Um, and they just had the premiere for Dial of Destiny and word is positive Rotten Tomato uh, percentage jumped up 10 points so that's very hopeful and I think as it gets out there more it's going to keep going it's still got the green blotch next to it as opposed to the ripe tomato Uh, it's about 57% which is rough but it was down to like 46, 47 after can but now more people are chiming in but I haven't seen I think I saw one person not care for it on Twitter, you know, whatever Twitter means to you. Right. But just right. I decided to scroll through the hashtag to see what's going on. It's a lot of people going solid indie effort. It was, you know, a lot of fun. Great way to end the mm. story for him and the man with the hat one more time. It was great, you know. Um because you have such a history with obviously the movie guys and all of the movies that you have jumped into and, and done deep dives on, I am curious. I, when was the shift? Because I remember when Rotten Tomatoes came on the scene. That's how long I've been around in the business, and you don't know who I am. So do um, I. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I, I was around when it when it when it came around, and when it first came around, Rotten Tomatoes was basically just a, a website where people went and complained about movies, and that was about it. It's still that. And what was the point? Where Rotten Tomatoes became a website that people went, well, you know, the Rotten Tomato meter says. When did that happen? Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a website that calls critic opinions. Mm-hmm. So they, but you know, they take mom on movies who looks at a movie for its, you know, values, mm-hmm. you know, personal Christian values a lot of the times, right. and then it takes Variety and the New York Times and and all that as well. But you can filter, and a lot of people don't, top critics, and then just see, like, the legitimate people, Hollywood Reporter and Mm. the the L.A. Times and the Chicago Sun-Times and all that. But, you know, they won't. They'll see them all, the Barnesdale Press in Iowa or whatever, they'll all be put together. (laughs) And that's never a great thing. No, no. You just want the legit people. Yeah. You have to go through and filter, unfortunately. So that's when it became important to see what the critics' takes were. But, you know, it's gotten so dumb nowadays. They're just putting tweets on posters and in commercials from whoever. It doesn't uh, matter. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you know, at you know, uh, dumb guy sixty nine <laughs> says great movie, and it's like, okay, uh, do we care? What who is he? What we don't. Yeah, we uh, don't. Like with all news in the world, you have to consider the source. Mm. And Rotten Tomatoes is a way to sort of track down the source. You know, if you go to top critics, you can look through for your favorite critics and see what right. they thought. But the number is skeptical. I don't know if you want to go with dead vegetables for a way to put a uh, a value on a movie. So. <laughs> Well played, sir. Well played. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I was curious. All right. Yeah. Uh, but they've used it now when a lot of people go in a hate campaign. They'll go in there and just like take the audience. Because you'll also notice one thing always. The audience score will be way up above the critic score. Almost always. For Shazam, for Kandahar, mm. and everything in between. Like movies that are generally bad. Still audiences are like, eh, fun, 75% at least, or you know, but all the way up to 90-something. Hmm. Then you get ones across the board, like John Wick 4, it's like 96 and 96. Like, everyone thought it was great. Right. But, so, they'll go on hate campaigns and, like, um, review bomb Rotten Tomatoes to get the audience score down for a movie they hate. Why people want to do this with their time, I don't know. I think there's a line in... Uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where John Hurt's character says something like, why do people spend so much of their life waiting? Well, why do people spend so much of their life doing that? Mm. Watch the movies, love the movies you love, and stop with the nonsense. Yeah. But people do that just to run IMDb ratings for, for user 
ratings and then audience ratings at Rotten Tomatoes down when they hate something. I don't get it. Wow. Well, I mean, that that's there it is right there. I, I, I had no idea. I mean, that's thank you for all that information. Very good. Yeah. Very good. And uh, I need to tell you this, Sean. I was waiting on air to tell you. I saw The Dial of Destiny last week. Are you serious? <laughs> I did. I got a fluke call from a friend of mine, and I was like, I'm, I'm not ready. I, I can't. I can't go to see this movie. I, I'm not I, prepared. I feel like you cheated I on our whole... I know. I, we I had know. a pact! I had we pack. had a pact! You wouldn't have said no! <laughs> what? What? I know. What? What? <laughs> oh my gosh! I don't even know if I should... Should I ask? Okay, 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 okay. okay. We're, this there, is all... This is real. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There was a press. Okay, let's just start okay. with this. Right. And, I'm, and this may be my only question. Yes. Did you like it? Sean, you can safely raise your expectations. Okay, that's all I'm gonna ask. Oh yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. I don't want to know anything else. I'm uh, look. I totally get that you that you went and and did that and and you know you got that out of your system and we'll <laughs> talk to our therapist about how we can heal this relationship. No, I mean look, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, how incredible, and uh, I'm excited that you liked it. And yes. I, I want to ask more questions, but I don't. So I'm going to just say I'm glad you liked it. And um, I'm really trying to, to <laughs> I know, process but here. You, I, could, I uh, can't say no when a buddy of mine says, of course I got a not. press screening. Of course not. One. Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. Look, and I wouldn't expect you to. See, right. this is the kind of good relationship that you have with someone. <laughs> is you don't have these kind of expectations yeah. of each other. No, look, I totally get it. And But wow. Oh, my goodness. So now... So now I know two people who have seen it, right? And uh, and I haven't seen it, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. I'm well. This uh, I needed to say this also for people who were watching who might be going. But I heard such bad things. Mm-hmm. I may. Uh, I'm not say anything about plot, of course, but I will say a couple of things. Every bad review I've read after seeing it, I can pretty much refute all of their bad takes on this movie. Mm. Convoluted? No, it's Indiana Jones. Hey, this thing has power. We should get it. Oh no, th- these other guys are after it. We have to get it before them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Off that's you go. basically the plot of every single that's Indiana this. Jones movie. Yeah, it's not yeah. convoluted. That's the formula. That's the formula. We'll get into this crystal skull in a second. There's nothing as dumb as communist fighting monkeys in the Dial of Destiny. Mm. Nothing reaches that level of dumb. Mm. It's all handled much better. Mm. There are emotional moments. Checks a lot of indie boxes. John Williams kills it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I may start an anti-bad review campaign, the likes of which has not been seen since La La Land. This movie is getting unjustly, <laughs> unjustly maligned. And uh, I think the peop- now that it's among the people, I think you're going to see a little movement of people going, what is going on with these critics? This movie is uh, lots of fun. So Now, without revealing too much uh, for me and the audience, um, where do you think the 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 vitriol from the negative reviews is coming from? Do, it, do you know? Do do people feel like it's it? They've ruined the purity of what Indiana Jones was. Uh, you know, you know, similar to like how people hate on on new Star Wars stuff, right? I, I because there's a lot of comparisons in terms of just the bigness of the IPs, right? Indiana Jones and Star Wars. These are very big things, certainly from our childhood, you know? And and I think that people 
kind of hated and still hate on a lot of the new Star Wars stuff, basically because it's not the old Star Wars stuff, yeah. you know? And and just like they hated on the prequels, now they hate on the sequels. And, and somehow the prequels became the savior of everything and the purity and the wonderfulness of George Lucas. But back then, guys, you were all complaining about it yeah, all. Time so time changes that. Yeah, so do you think it's that or, or do you think it's something else? Yeah, I think people are ready to hate on it. You know, there's, there's also kind of a woke thing going on. You know, like everybody... All these idiots are out there railing against wokeness, and it seems like if the movie says anything that Indiana Jones might have might be the movie's called Raiders of the Lost Ark, but if they say he's stealing antiquities or being, you know, unjust to cultures who mm. these things belong to them, that it's like woke and they would need to rail against that. Mm. And again, there's a lot of speculation as to what this movie is about that people are already pre angry about. Before seeing it. <laughs> I'm just angry about the concept of being angry. Yeah. So wait to see the movie, wow. dummies. And a yeah. lot of people are complaining already Wow. with that kind of thing. Wow. Well, but, big, uh, big bomb you just dropped. Yes. Similar to the nuclear explosion in Indiana Jones and <laughs> yes. the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I nuked Skull. the show's fridge. Yes, yes. But uh, I'm happy that you got to see it. I know how huge of a fan of the Indiana Jones series you are. I think you're a bigger fan than I am. I'm a, I'm a big fan, but I, I know you're a bigger fan than yeah, I am. Yeah, so. it was... It was I was so happy when it was over. I was like, oh, this was good. And so I saw Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull this February. I hadn't seen it to, since 2008. Mm. I saw Dial of Destiny last week. I can't wait to go again in two weeks. Oh, my gosh. So there you go. That gives you an well, idea how much better it is. And by the way, uh, and this is something I, I wanted to chat about anyway, but I'll jump in with it here, which is I also think our movie uh, opinions sometimes also stem from those we go to the movie with you know if you go with a group of people who are already in a space of thinking it's going to suck or thinking it's they're going to hate it or you know what i mean mm -hmm. i think that becomes a tougher kind of situation to watch a movie in than this is going to be great and 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 maybe just enjoying and accepting whatever is sort of delivered because it's it's at least your your nostalgic thing coming to life again you know yeah, and speaking of that nostalgia, I mean, I'll say two things about that, and then I'll be done with the new movie. Yeah. But because when we go deep into this, that's when the real things need to be said, but you can't without spoilers. So yeah, I got you. We'll talk about that I got later. You. Um, but Gizmodo.com, I think, does reviews, and I, I read, I'm read i reading the good reviews, too, You know, because right. it's about 50%. Right. Like, it's 57 now, which is better, but when I think about all the movies I love, about 50% of most people like them anyway, so right. we're not off track right. here right. entirely. Right. La La Land, Vice bros right you know uh thor love and thunder like half the people out there like these movies the other half are complaining about them i'm right. like well that's that's not weird but gizmodo said if you don't like this movie it's because it's it's 2023 and you're not you have these preconceived notions of 40 years of raiders of a lost ark and that you just need to kind of get over mm. get over yourself basically that's yeah. what they're saying and it was different when you watched raiders and yes. it was all brand new so that's one of the things going against this or to your point star wars Transformers, Marvel, any uh, giant franchise, you yeah. know, they, they they have a tough time getting over that. And when they do it successfully, it should be considered more of a victory, perhaps, than we are giving it. Yep. And so the other thing I'll say about nostalgia is that you kind of either love it or don't. 
I've seen reviews that were like, they lean too much on nostalgia. And I saw the other ones say what I said, which is, oh, they checked all the boxes. Mm. Even like, they're punching Nazis again. Like, why are Nazis the bad guy again? I would see a movie where people beat the crap out of Nazis for two and a half hours, and I don't even need Indiana Jones in it, and I'm going to love that movie. So, <laughs> Craig me. Ferguson used to do a bit about, um, you know, Nazis being the greatest villain uh, of it you can because you can always stick it to the nazis and everybody will be on your side like you know and uh right of course and, and and with this film it's the russians who if they're going to be accurate to 1957 were a cold war sort of enemy of america so but the russians i guess protested that the, they made the soviets the villains in this movie but if you're accurately reflecting the time period it's not weird but anyway. i mean you know look there is a there's a great denial of history and you know there's the old saying you know if you if you don't learn it the first time you know you got to repeat that 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 whole process again you know mm -hmm. and 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 you're going to keep doing that so you have to look at history and learn from history and to build on top of that you always need a villain like there's a whole lot of looking back at at movies in our history that might be challenging blazing saddles right even breakfast club you have to have a villain, and the villain has to do villainous things, or you can't have a triumph over the villain. It's or really funny that you would bring up Breakfast Club, because I was yeah. just working out this morning, and I was listening to the Smartless podcast. Pedro Pascal was on. Oh, really? And he was chatting about, um, he used to go to the movies with his dad all the time. His dad took him to all kinds of different, didn't, didn't matter if it was R-rated, whatever, didn't <laughs> matter, right? Just took him to the movies. But the one movie he would not take him to was The Breakfast Club, because, of course, it's kids complaining about parents. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Good point. <laughs> and I thought, anyway, there you go. That's true. My parents took me to vacation, you know, so that is just fun and weird and no parents get aligned. In fact, at the end, the father gets kind of uh, redeemed by trying to do everything he can for his kids. Right. I mean, yeah. and, and, you know, back then, I mean, I don't know, we grew up just sort of accepting what what we were watching now there's there's so many parameters and so much i mean i think we have to also let there be a space for art you have and, and in art you have to have a point of view mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't go into art i mean unless that's your artistic point of view is that you don't want to have a point of view but but <laughs> you you have to go into art and have a point of view and storytelling has you know the good guys and the bad guys you know uh, the the protagonists and the antagonists i mean these are basic storytelling concepts mm -hmm. and and you know people are reeling against these basic storytelling concepts but i think we're seeing from the numbers that people want to go to the movies and people want to you know you can call it escapism whatever but i also think there's there's more to all of this and i think it's a um, it's the tradition of society to share stories, to share insights. One thing I want to say about Crystal Skull, whether you like the movie or you actually completely hate it, there's a few moments and there's a few lines in the film that are beautiful, mm -hmm. that, that really are little kernels of, of wisdom about life, about family, about friendship. Um, Same with Dial of Destiny. <laughs> which is great looking forward to that um but but i think that that those little moments got overlooked because of some of the bigger issues which obviously we'll get into but um anyway yeah yeah well let's get into it once everyone knows what this movie is about because maybe you don't so we went <laughs> what and got uh you know as we've been getting indiana jones himself to give us the recaps I mean, straight from the adventurer who lived it but yep. Even he was reluctant to visit Crystal Skull. But after some persuading, <laughs> here he is to tell you what it was all about. Oh, good, because I saw it and I still don't know. 
It's 1957. They're re-electing Ike, sending dogs into space, and where am I? In the trunk of a car. Kidnapped by Russians. Put there by a Soviet agent named Irina Spolko, alongside my longtime partner Mac. You know Mac. I love Mac. Well, these Russians were posing as U.S. soldiers to infiltrate Hangar 51. And you know what's in there? Yeah. Aliens. That's right. Aliens. Brought them up early, so you should see a spaceship at the end of the adventure. Try not to get too pissed, okay? These aliens crash-landed in Roswell, New Mexico, ten years earlier. They picked Roswell because it's famous for, well, alien crash landings there, I guess. It's a vicious circle, people. Anyway, I teach Archaeology 101 at Marshall College, and if there's one thing I tell my students, it's that aliens are magnetized. So I used gunpowder to locate the alien remains deep in the hangar's warehouse. I try to escape, but Mac betrays me. You know, Mac. I hate Mac. So then it's time for a chase scene. What you came for, right? The whip, punching, a vehicle chase, and some bare-knuckle brawling that puts me on a rocket sled into the desert? Well, after many, and I mean many, go for reaction shots, I find myself in a small town where no one's talking. I mean, no political arguments or anything. So, I'm suspicious that it might not be a real town. Just then, a shark attacks, but I'm able to avoid it by jumping over it on my motorcycle. After being questioned by the feds, I return to Marshall College, but my ties, to Mac, give me an indefinite leave of absence. But what's the point of teaching? My students weren't even flirting with me anymore. Then, Mud Williams shows up in my life to give me more bad news. Yippee. He could just kick me in the crotch. But instead, he shares that my old colleague, Harold Oxley, has disappeared. After finding a crystal skull, man, that will never not sound like a vodka, Mutt and I head to a diner to discuss the lost city of Akator, the Skulls, and the Uga tribe of Peru. And quietly, I look up Mutt in the dictionary, and it means a stupid or foolish person, a simpleton. I chose not to tell him. Now the Soviets catch us sharing a letter Oxley gave to Mutt. And then, they do what the Soviets did in the 50s. Be bad guys. They chase us all around campus. Tearing up the midways, knocking over tables in the library, and decapitating a statue of Marcus Brody. Thus complicating my chances of being reinstated at the college. Eventually, I decode Oxley's letter, and it says the skulls can be found if you follow a red line on a map and superimposed plane footage to Peru. And it's there we find that Oxley was in a psychiatric hospital until the Soviets captured him. He leaves clues that direct us to the grave of conquistador Francisco de Oriana, and blah, 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 this movie finally gets to a cave. It's about time. Skeletons, lightning, cobwebs, creepy parkouring cave nymphs, boxes checked. And more importantly, we find the crystal skull and pour ourselves a glass. Nope, not a vodka. I have the skull for about a minute and a half and it turns out Mac has let the Soviets right to us. You know Mac. I hate Mac. At the Soviets camps, we reunite with Oxley, who's gone mad thanks to the skull. And he acts nuts. Thanks, Ox. Worth the flight, pal. Appreciate it. 
It's right about now this story of a Russian attempt to overthrow the world with a superpower could use some sitcom banter. Enter Marion Ravenwood, who says she's Mutt's mother. Let's see, we need a sitcom situation too. Uh, quicksand! Although, technically, it's a dry sand pit. Quicksand is a viscous mix of mud, clay, and water, and depending on the fluidity, it's not as dangerous as you might think. Sorry. Back to the story. It turns out, I am the father. Yep, many years ago, when Mary and I did it, Mutt was born. I'm the stupid, foolish simpleton's dad. I could go for a dial of destiny right about now. Anyway, Jar Jar Oxley got us captured, so we had to escape. Again, and this led to a long vehicle chase where Mac tells me he's with the CIA and is a double agent. You know Mac. I love Mac! While fighting with Spalco for the skull, Mud ends up entangled in some vines, which leads him to a large group of monkeys in the treetops. The monkeys... Tell Mud of the totalitarianism, political repression, human rights restrictions, poor economy, and cultural and artistic censorship they've suffered under communism. So, they decide to help Mud fight the Soviets. That had to be how it went down, because otherwise it makes no sense. But, I wasn't there. Anyone the monkeys don't get, the big damn ants take care of, and we arrive at a pyramid in the Amazon rainforest. It's here we learn that Mac is not a double agent and leads the Soviets once again to our location in the temple. You know, Mac. I hate Mac. Wait a second. Do you know Mac? Is there anything else he ever does that endears him to you in this story? Does he matter to anything? I don't think there's one thing he does that has an ounce of importance beyond banal superficiality. Anyway... I just realized that he means so much nothing to anything, it's impossible to think of him with any emotion. Even hate. The temple holds 13 crystal skeletons, but one was missing a skull. Spalco put the skull we brought with us on the headless skeleton, and it began communicating to us through Oxley, using an ancient Mayan dialect and a portal to another dimension opened above us. This was a huge moment. Like opening the Ark of the Covenant if this was something you really cared would happen for two hours. Just then, the portal sucks up Spalco and the soldiers, and while fumfering around in a treasure room with major league inability to read the crumbling room around him, Mac dies. And nobody cares. Literally. No one. But out of the crumbling temple comes a flying saucer. Yes, a flying damn saucer. And the waters of the Amazon cover the space where it was hidden, and I realize that... No one's ever going to believe this story. And that ended up being true. People would sit through this story and say things like, I don't believe this story for a second. And no way, this is happening. Anyway, then I married Marion. See you in 12 years. Well, there you go. That's everything you need to know about I mean, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So now you don't have to see it. <laughs> Our little mini movie was enough. But. Yes. You should. You should. and if you, you should see it. And I want to say right out of the gate, Seeing it again, I liked it. Really? Yes. Wait, what's the bigger bomb here that's being <laughs> dropped in the middle of the show? And I saw Indy, or you went back and revisited Crystal Skull, and you liked it. I liked it. I, I kept waiting. So look, we all know there's there's basically two moments in that film that that go so far that you lost people. One is the snake. And one is the monkeys. Mm -hmm. 
Um, some people might argue the bugs, but I can forgive the bugs because it's 2008, right? 2008, mm-hmm. and um, when it was you know done, and that's around the cusp of CG getting good, and them wanting to push the boundaries of CG and what we can do with with that, and so I can forgive that. Um, but overall, watching it again, I was like. This is a good movie. Wow, look at this. Because at my revisit, I thought it was really fun watching Harrison Ford, because again, that's what I'm trained to do now with the Ford Fiesta. But I still thought it had way too many problems. But I appreciated it more than I did previously. But good movie? (sighs) There were little things that I noticed that, you know, and again, this goes back to, you know, saying like who you saw it with. So I, funny enough, I think I may have only seen that movie one time. Same. Yeah. yeah. Um, so seeing it again was like, oh, oh, okay. Here, here's new stuff. Like, I, and I was, and it got me so excited about Dial of Destiny because I'm like, man, I feel like this is new because I haven't seen it in so long, and I only saw it once, and now I'm gonna get to see Dial of Destiny. This is great. So look, the very opening sequence. I mean, if you don't like that opening sequence, at least. I mean, come on! It's a it's a fabulous opening sequence, and from a from a from a filmmaker's point of view, it checks so many boxes. It it tells us where we are in the world. It tells us we, in terms of time. There's so many visuals that it checks. We've got all this '50s stuff. I mean, it was, and of course, like anybody who knows anything about Lucas and seeing all these cars and all this stuff, it, yes, it, it's a, it's a little bit of nostalgia right there, right out of the gate. And then you know, the first real image we actually get of Indy. Pulled out of a truck, it, thrown on the no, ground. No, I think the first real actual look of Indiana oh. Jones is the the shadow play of him putting the hat on. Yes. Right? That's yeah. the first like, oh, there's Indiana Jones right there. Um, That whole opening sequence, I mean, first of all, it's Area 51, which I love that reveal. I love that, that sense of it all. I love how they tie in all those little things. Uh, the testing facility. Of course, I love that they had the the arc there. Um, yeah, see, I, but that 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 would be one of the first problems I had with the movie, where it was like, oh, this is the place where they had the arc, and they show us the arc, and I went, I, I know, I just thought this is the place where they had the arc, like ten oh. minutes ago. You don't have to spell it out. Like, it's a lot of spelling it out. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, um, I also want to say, as we get into this discussion, um, they didn't have Douglas Slocum. Hmm. This is Janusz Kaminski hmm. shooting it. And I think that adds to the difference in the feeling of this film. There were definitely moments where there were shots where I went, something is different here that would have been different had, had Douglas Slocum done it. And, and uh, I can't put my finger on what that would have been. But, but it just felt, there were just things in there that definitely felt like they were right out of the gate handled very differently than than other Indiana Jones films. Yeah, unfortunately, it just looked like such a fake set that they were on. Well, okay, uh, so two... But they may not have been. No, But two, it just looked so, like, colored within an inch of its life. I didn't have that, like, set-in-reality vibe that Slocum brought, I think. Well, to your point, um, I think what happened was... Because there's a... In that opening sequence, they get there... And then they pull him out of the car, and there's a moment in that scene where we go from being on a practical set, I believe, and I may be wrong, 
but I believe we go from being on a practical set to being on a sound stage because it's it, to me it seemed very clear that the lighting shifted, the look shifted, and and of course because of that the feeling shifts, right? Um the other thing that that is interesting about that argument though too is that um you know Douglas Slocum was dealing with sets that were that were practically built. Now I don't know how much of that initial opening sequence was all practically built or some was blue and green screen uh, and and later added in with CG and stuff like that because we do have a lot of CG elements in this film. And, of course, this is the first one that really has the, the CG elements added in. And, you know, it's it's the big argument, especially during that time, right? Like around – like basically from whatever, 1999, 2000 to what, maybe 2010 – where where CG is is growing, getting better. Sometimes it's really really good, and sometimes it's whoa, that was terrible. Um, and, and 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 it lacked consistency. They were taking big swings with Jar Jar and Gollum to have our first fully CG characters, you know. But and then it improved after that. Yeah. So anyway, I just think that you know, I was just totally on board for the ride, and 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 what was interesting was I kept waiting. <clears throat> To get to the point where I was like, okay, now I remember why I hate this movie. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And I didn't. Uh, well, I did. Now I will say, the snake thing. I I still don't love that scene. Although after having watched the behind the scenes, I found something out about that scene that made me go, "What? Really? Can I hear that immediately? Yes. What is it? The snake is real. Oh. Yeah." Well, that now, doesn't matter. Because I don't. I don't know that the snake right. is real that he holds on to to pull out. I would assume that he's not, based on you know <laughs> certain parameters of you know treating animals nicely. Yes. Um, but but when he throws the snake to him, that is a real snake. And they they I, I can't remember the name of the snake, but but uh, and apparently of course you know Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford, he's not afraid of anything. He's just like oh yeah, it's not, I'm not afraid of snakes. It's fine, you know. <laughs> you know. But and, see, you've been passing over the most hackneyed part of that entire thing. First of all, throwing a snake and not knowing it's a snake is just lame. Lamer and more hacky, quicksand. Like that's now to clarify. If you go back and watch that scene, he very clearly says this is not quicksand. I know. Right, and they talk about the differences between quicksand. Either way, and I think all of that dialogue is really fun and funny. However, um, okay, look, let's just jump right into that scene because that is the scene that I think most people have uh, uh, maybe the biggest hard time with: it's the suspension of disbelief. If you watch the behind the scenes, you you realize first of all, um, Spielberg was done. He was done with the series with Last Crusade. That's the whole reason he had the right off into the sunset shot. He was done. Um, I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this, but Harrison Ford was the one who was pushing to do another Indiana Jones movie. He didn't feel the character was done. Yeah. yeah. And um, so kept bugging Spielberg about it and then, you know, George and all of this. So anyway, I, I, that being said, the other thing to consider is this. We talk a lot about with 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 Indiana Jones and with Star Wars. People often say, "Well, they need to like you know go back to the source material of what they were really what those filmmakers were actually trying to look at." Okay, well, let's talk about what the source material was and what they were referencing for Crystal Skull. In the behind the scenes, they very clearly talk about we wanted to revisit B movies 
from from those from whatever the 30s from 40s the, well you know. even more so from the late 50s yeah from the 50s all of those like took place. those 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 sci-fi like crazy alien movies and all of that kind of stuff they wanted to revisit those B movies and those B movies had goofy kind of moments in them like a snake that you throw at somebody <laughs> because you can't find a rope now i was thinking to myself okay why didn't they, what if you could just cut that scene because they're 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 you know they're looking at the maps oh, right before. You could. Now you can't. You could. No, you can't. And the reason Boy. the reason you can't is because story wise, it's when he finds out oh, that, that he's the father. Son, yeah. So story wise, that scene has to be there. Okay, they have to reveal that information. Yes. It doesn't have to be in that scene because that scene does nothing else. They run away. They get they get caught in the quick the quicksand. They get captured. They go back to right where they were. It was like a big nothing happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I agree. And I will say also, again, going back to the cinematography and maybe the editing in this one, too, there, there's a pacing and a style that the other Indiana Jones films had that, that um, naturally supported each other. Slocum's work was so, so perfectly executed, and then the, the editor was, was so good at... at putting things together in a seamless way. You know, they say the best editing is invisible. And it was, you know what I mean? Um, I feel like maybe this movie needed a little bit more finessing in terms of that. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. There's a scene right before the snake scene, of course, the scene when he first realizes Marion is there and she gets pulled out and all this stuff. And there's this big sort of like, dialogue between all of them and it's kind of goofy fun funny kind of dialogue in the midst of basically their lives being on the line i mean they've just had the sword pointed at shia labeouf's character and you know all of this you know so it's a very it, it, there, there was a very intense moment happening and then there's there's tomfoolery basically right. happening right and when i was watching it that was actually the first scene that made me go whoa what's wrong with this scene and a couple of things popped out for me whether or not I'm right, who knows? But this is just my assessment. One was the scene felt under-rehearsed. It, it felt like a, a scene that that if I was if I was doing it as a play, I would be like, guys, you need to know this dialogue like the back of your hand. You need to be able to drive this scene so hard so that it's like, yeah, 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 and and it's just driving. Instead, we kind of get talking over and and Ford, def Ford desperately trying to sell it, <laughs> um, and and even and even Karen Allen uh, trying to to do her thing. But again, it just wasn't quite clippy enough. It wasn't quite tight enough. And so because of that, the comedy doesn't work and the drama underneath doesn't work. And that's and that's where it falls apart a little bit. Also, speaking of Janusz Kaminski, who, of course, in his own right is brilliant, um, I don't think he was overly familiar with the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie and uh, Temple of Doom and uh, Crusade. He says he studied it for this movie. Yeah. He says he studied so, Slocum's style. So here's what I would say. But I think Fade on Papa Michael does it better in Dial of Destiny. <laughs> Recreating Slocum's style. Anyway, well, there ahead. you go. Um, but, I, but I'll say this. Um, Again, in the behind-the-scenes featurette, there's a moment where where he's chatting and he says, 
you know, oh yeah, Spielberg uh, brought me into a screening room so that we could watch the first three Indiana Jones films. So yeah, so Spielberg pulls him into a screening room to watch the first three Indiana Jones films, which to me means he had not and seen he them. Not hang with. I would watch as soon as Kaminsky gets hired for Schindler's List. I'd watch everything Spielberg's ever done at that point, which would include all the three of the original films. I mean, uh, and maybe he saw them at some point, and I, I, you know, I think he's he's older, so maybe. You know, maybe they weren't films that meant as much to him as they do to us. You know, he didn't grow up with them kind of thing. So, you know, different generation and and that kind of stuff. So, I, again, I think there were just things technically, technical creative stuff that were missing that you added said, to. You said wasn't quite, and that's a great quote for this entire movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but let's go back to when it came out, 2008. Premiered at the Cannes Film Festival May 18th. Now, Dial of Destiny did the same thing. But they put a month in between Dial of Destiny's premiere and its opening date. Here you had four days, and then it opened in the U.S., mm. May 22nd. The, this was the first Spielberg movie since E.T. to premiere at Cannes. And then when it opened, 4,260 theaters. That's the third highest ever behind Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End and Spider-Man wow. 3. Wow. So, yeah, when you get deep into sequels, they just up the theater number, I guess. Get this. The budget... For Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Skull, $185 million, mm. which is not weird nowadays for this type of movie. Marvel's running around 200 for every movie they put out. Right. But the previous high for this franchise was 48 for Last Crusade. I was going to say- Temple of Doom was 28. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can see that shift in budget in the behind-the-scenes featurette as well. I mean, there's definitely a lot of money being spent. Now, I also want to say something else. And, and again, I'm going to tie it to Star Wars and the people that are the naysayers and the haters and all of this stuff. The people that made Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and the people that make the Star Wars movies are, are not dissimilar from us. They're not dissimilar from the people that grew up with the... And a lot of times they are the people that grew up Nicer with these house, movies. But yeah. You know, they're the people that love these movies too. <clears throat> and so it it seems unfair to be... You know, they they didn't they don't set out to make something that is subpar or not good or what. And no filmmaker does, right? You always set out to make the the greatest thing. And I think part of the reason that they wanted to do another Indiana Jones film was because it it just worked. It worked from Raiders of the Lost Ark through Last Crusade. Every single one of them worked. the The crew worked well together. You know. Ford showed up and was amazing. The, the supporting cast was always amazing. Everything about it just, just you know, like Spielberg said, they caught lightning in a bottle every time. You know, so they didn't quite catch lightning in a bottle for most people with Crystal Skull. And I would still, I would still argue that, that that's probably mostly Not true. Quite. Yeah. No, it's it's probably mostly true. <laughs> but 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 I I like I said after watching it again, I enjoyed it, and I'm excited about watching it another time because I was like, yeah. wow. There's a lot in here to really love. It rarely takes one thing to kill a whole movie. Yes. So you clearly have taken that. You can look at the bad scenes and go, but overall, it's good because I can give passes to that stuff. You know what's funny, too? The bad scenes, okay, the snake scene is, I don't know, what, two and a half, three minutes, maybe, tops, something like that. The monkey scene, same. Um, Okay. that I mean, if you pull those out, you're done. But you've already had Star Trek V. 
with me, where I watched Scotty walk down the, the hall of the Enterprise going, I know the ship like the back of my hand, or whatever. And then he hits his head, and he falls down, and he passes out. Funny, but then he gets captured. So I'm like, your bits are kill- you know, like bad for the plot. So, like, when they get caught in quicksand and they do a bunch of... I'm not going to lie, I, like, love, I get, love that moment. I see. Okay. I fucking love that moment. He got caught. I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's kind of lost me there. But, uh, all right, so tell me about the first time you saw it. You saw it just now. What was the first time? Okay. Um, this one I actually remember. Uh... <laughs> So I, I saw it with a group of friends um, that I actually, uh, most of which I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts with uh, back in the day. And, and so we've been friends of a really long time. And of course, all grew up watching Indiana Jones and loving Indiana Jones. Um, but I, I, and I love these guys. They're, they're like, you know, brothers. Um, but I will say when some of the goofier things started happening in the movie, Right out of the gate, they were the first to like start laughing out loud and just, and it didn't stop. Go like and, at the movie. Yeah. yeah not oh yeah. The movie. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I mean. Where it's like for me, it it, I, I look back on that experience and I, I go and I I want to let myself get lost in the movie. Mm-hmm. I want to suspend my disbelief. I just saw Spider Verse. I just saw the, oh, the newest one. Yeah. And and I. I loved it so much and I just let myself get and I know everybody loves this film so I'm not saying anything that that is new but I, I you know you could get to a place where you don't want to suspend your disbelief to go to that storyline that's in there the you know the multiverse and all of this stuff and and but if you do it's so fun. It's so rich. It's Those so Those guys fun. especially just fill their movies yes. uh, Lord and Miller with stuff to enjoy from jokes to visuals to i mean and then they animate it yeah i mean there's even twice the visuals that they could put in their movie uh, it's a gold mine of amazingness and um but again you you have to be willing to suspend your disbelief and even in indiana jones okay so he throws a snake and he gets pulled out of the thing <laughs> by the way uh just going back to that scene real quick since that you know we're obsessed with it at least i am uh <laughs> I think if that scene had been filmed a little darker, I think if there would have been more cuts, I think if there would have been different music and they hadn't played up the comedy of it quite so much because they really, because uh, Temple of Doom, as we've talked about before, has a ton of comedy in it. I mean, there's snakes dropping and I mean, you know, uh, Willie running all over the place and ah, freaking out and all that, but we bought it. We bought it because it, it, it still lived in the world and we we believed the given circumstances. There was something about the way this movie was made where it, it, it became a little bit harder to suspend the disbelief because we didn't quite believe the world that was being handed to us. And so I think that's really at the heart. And of- in the middle of that, you have to believe the danger. Yes. So if without if you have all the danger you want, set up real stakes, then you can play, play, play. Hundred yeah. percent. I mean, the the scene previous to that, when he looks at the skull for the first time, and you know, connects with the the mm-hmm. energy of it and all that. I mean, Ford is delivering a great performance, and he is creating that life in the given circumstances. Because even um, Kate Blanchett, uh, you know, talking about performance, to me, is a little on the edge. 
I think if I, you know, if I would have had two cents in there, which I didn't, but of course, uh, but if I would have had two cents, it would have been like maybe a little subtler, just a little <laughs> subtler, you know, yeah. uh, you know, so it doesn't come come off like a stage character, you know, yeah. um, that it that it that there is grounded in, and, and and there's some moments that she does that are really great, and especially near the end when she's like, "Tell me, I want to know." Like, I totally love all of that stuff, and there's some. I mean, she has some good moments for sure, but there's uh, in the interrogation moment, it gets a little. Yeah, for well, me. Well, think about yeah. the Nazis in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, they weren't a, they weren't right. running around. They were right. just like, well, we take what we want and then decide whether or not to blow your ship. Yeah, like they yeah. just they could play it subtle and still have really menace. Good. You know, very good. Oh, thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. Uh, so my first time seeing it, uh, I went with a ton of friends because the hype train I had built beyond <laughs> nothing could like reach the level. The movie tries hard as I wanted would not have been. Um, I was about all the photos that came out. I was about all the teasers and trailers and everything that was released, and I was super excited. So a bunch of friends of mine went with me, and they started thinking it was bad early, and they just kept kind of looking over at me. But I, like you, I want to get wrapped up. I want this to work. I'm just gonna watch the movie. So I said nothing. I did nothing. You know. Then they all we all left silently into the hallway, <laughs> right? And they're all kind of still looking at me, and I went, "The hell was that?" And they went, "Oh, they yeah." Thank God, because we thought it was terrible. Like, they just, but they wow. respected me for that, but wow. they wanted to wait and see what I said. Interesting. Um, everybody kind of exhaled after that, and then we could talk openly about like what we thought of how, what didn't work. Um, I do think sometimes people go to these kinds of movies. It's kind of like something that happens in, in general in society, where it's like people are waiting to, to watch somebody fail. Yeah. And, and I hate that. I, I, I don't go there waiting for someone to fail. I go there with the expectation that it's going to be awesome. I'm going to love it. This is going to be a great time. And if something happens off, okay, I'm going to accept that. You know, I, I don't know. That's just me. And, and But but I feel like so many times people go with this like, all right, show me it's good. I haven't seen the new Transformers yet, but it's got the director of Creed 2 mm. and less Michael Bay. And I heard that the, uh, the Rise of the Beasts, I don't know anything about the Beasts, but they're apparently Transformers who came here before people invented cars so all they could turn into were animals i think that's cool so like i'm excited to see this movie and hope it's good will it suck i don't know but i'm hoping it's good i'm gonna second that i actually really want to see it as well i think it looks phenomenal yeah. i like what i've seen of it and it's got characters we haven't seen what's the planet eating planet omicron or something like that that would be too soon uh, he's got a name like that though <laughs> is it omicron god i hope not. I, I, uh, it might have been Ooh. This might soon. have been. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah it's a little too soon. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, anyway, uh, or let's jump to the other scene then that, that gets a lot of flack, and that's of course uh, Shia LaBeouf swinging with the monkeys. Uh, and let me tell you the story from the novelization of the movie. Okay, that when he goes up into the trees, <clears throat> he sees the monkeys. Right, he's kind of stuck up in there, and he sees the fight going on down below them. The monkeys see his pompadour, and they think they have the same haircut. And so that's why they help him then attack the communists. It's dumb. Wow. I mean, that's... <laughs> that, that only plays out in some looks in yeah. the movie. You know, they kind of look at each other for a second. And then when he swings through the trees, they follow him and they all attack the Russians. Why? That's like the worst idea in a long time in a movie. So um, I didn't pay extra special close attention to that sequence when it was on... At the moment, I just kind of let it unfold, and um, it, it just seemed like animals attacking people and trusting one. You know, right? Yeah, I, is I mean, he Tarzan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a silly. It is. It's a silly concept, but 
if we go back to the idea that we're revisiting this B-movie kind of thing, there are silly things that happen within that world. Now, again, would it have been different if the monkeys looked a little more menacing? If there would have been a moment where where Shia uh, or, or Mutt, I should say, uh, you know, reached down and saved one that was falling or something, and 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 it looked at him and had a connection, and and now again, that's still silly. That's still it's, silly, it's, right? But at least it's it has a bit of an arc. I think the again part of the problem was getting us into the to believing the reality of their given circumstances, and it was tough to get there for that moment. That whole sequence is. I mean, it's a tough sequence. It's, uh, you know, because again, even within that, the sword fighting and him getting hit in the groin with the trees as the the cars are going by and all of this stuff. But this time I watched it and I thought of of some of the swashbuckling sword fights of of B-movies and the silliness of all of that. And I just went, okay. Were they silly? Or did they fight and try and win the fight? That's the thing. Like when they're when Karen Allen's driving and saying, "Perry, honey, be sure," you know, like yeah. telling him how to play. I'm like, <laughs> I had never heard that line before, uh, and I just heard it. And yeah. It was like I laughed out loud. Yeah, like just focus on the fighting, and then when we win the fight, we're going to be psyched. Yeah, all the tomfoolery. But again, we go back to uh, also the way it was done. Um, you know, when she says, Perry, honey, I, if memory serves, I don't think there's an insert close up of her saying that. I think it's a, it's a little mm-hmm. bit wider shot. You know, I think had this been shot in a different way and that moment inserted, you know, there, there were a lot of in, if you go back to Raiders, which to me is still the greatest of all the Indiana Jones movies. series, you know, and, and one of the greatest movies <laughs> of all time, but, but certainly the greatest of the Indiana Jones series. You know, there there are certainly sort of silly moments. There are, I don't know if I'd say there's goofy moments, but there's definitely silly moments. And there's lighthearted moments, and there's actually funny moments. But I think part of that was this, um, there's an amazing dance that happens between, you know, the writing of the script, the directing of the actors, and the directing of the camera, and then the DP working with the camera operators to 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 get and capture the scene as it needs to unfold, and then of course to get that to the editor and have them put it together and make it make sense. Right? There's there's a dance that happens, and and if and if you get out of step, if you get if there's a misstep in the dance, you can see it. And I think that's what the Crystal Skull is. I think there's there's just missteps in the way the movie was was made. N- not terribly, because it's they're all brilliant. These are all huge people doing this film. I mean, they're you know they're never gonna even see this podcast. You know what I mean? Like like you know they're amazing. How dare you? You know how dare you? Um, but <laughs> but just looking at it and and thinking about where else it could have gone, how else it could have been done. You know what else could have been done at the time? I, I think there is there there are some adjustments that could have been made to make it better and to make us believe it a little bit more. Well, all that I all this happened with no shortage of scripts. Uh, <laughs> George Lucas and Jeff Nathanson wrote the story and took a crack at the script. So did Jeffrey Boehm from Last Crusade. So did Jeb Stewart. So did Frank Darabont. It was David Kep whose script uh, won out. Which is man, that is just an interesting. Uh, I mean, Darabont. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Right, and he inv- he created Mutt because in on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, Indy had a daughter, but Spielberg didn't want it because 
this is weird. I, I you know, this is when I go really internet. Mm-hmm. It was too close to the Lost World when uh, Goldblum's character had a daughter. I guess I'm like, uh, no one's going to see that parallel. Nobody's going to get that parallel. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if that yeah. was entirely true. But Mar- so it was a whole bunch of things working together. Like Darabont's script first introduced the idea of Marion's return. Uh, Arena Spalco, um, Blanchett's character. This was David Kep's uh, creation. So they all kind of worked together. Two drafts from Stewart, who had just written The Fugitive for Ford. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Bohm wrote three, uh, and they were all done by 96, but Spielberg said, no, I don't want to make another alien film after Independence Day, even though I guess the aliens are interdimensional. I was just going to say, it's not an alien movie, it's yeah. an interdimensional being movie. Yeah, and then Darabont... Which, by the way, uh, yeah. I had totally forgotten about all of that, so when I watched it again, I was like, oh, interdimensional, that's so cool, I actually really like that. I thought that was fantastic, I loved it. That's interstellar. That's yeah. some Chris Nolan territory yeah. with a better script. Uh, so, they, yeah, the, um, the, I guess they all met together at an AFI party for Harrison Ford in 2000, and they said they wanted to do it again. And so here they have it. It's eight years later, so nothing happens quickly around here. But the script was eventually sent by Courier, who hung out with the actors who requested it while they read it and then took it away from them when they were done. Huh. That happened with this... According to two stories, Ray Winstone and John Hurt both read the script that way, wow. with uh, someone hanging around while you uh, while you finished it. Uh, injuries: Harrison Ford not hurt, despite getting hurt in The Force Awakens and getting hurt in uh, Dial of Destiny. Your your injuries were Shia LaBeouf pulling his rotator cuff and groin, and Ray Winstone tearing his hamstring. Um, I do want to say uh, one thing that came out of watching the documentaries uh, behind the scenes was that uh, this was a period of time where people really doubled down on safety cables um, for stunts and things like that. And so they talk about that. I mean, Harrison Ford kind of goes into a whole thing about it because, you know, there's stunts that they in the past couldn't have really done or that definitely would have been the stuntman doing it, not Harrison Ford. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that he was able to do uh, especially at even his age at that time, um, that might have been really dangerous. That was a little less dangerous because of the cables and you know being able to remove those in post. So yeah, uh, they were all in on practical stunts for this, apparently. Although there was an explosion of a wall in the sequence uh, we talked about before in the Area 51, where an explosive actually ended up in the seat next to Harrison Ford that was not detonated. Fun, fun oh my facts. goodness, that's terrifying. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, you know, that was another thing, watching it again. Uh, I remember uh, this was the first, maybe one of the first moments that that my friends really started laughing at the film instead of laughing with it or enjoying it, yeah. uh, was, of course, the him getting in the refrigerator and, you know, surviving the nuclear explosion. I get it. it there's an absurdity to it, right? Um, but uh, seeing it again, I bought it. Didn't bother me. In terms of our storytelling, I wasn't bothered by it at all. I thought it was fun and maybe a little funny. Well, I'll take what happened there because the payoff of Indiana Jones in the Shadow of a Mushroom Cloud is excellent. Right. That looks great. Okay, and it says is... a lot about the advancement of his years and what his new threats are that he has to deal with. I mean, this new the Nazis weren't doing this. Mm-mm. You know, this is this is different. That image is the greatest shot Janusz Kaminski and the visual effects team, I think, did in the, maybe the entire film. It is breathtaking yeah. to see him in the foreground and that mushroom cloud in the background. Yeah. That is, and talk about a moment in time and, okay, getting this sense of where we are in the world and what's going on. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's a brilliant moment. 
Yeah, great yeah. shot. Yeah. Agreed on that. Hey, we agreed on hey, that. Hey, <laughs> look at us. We're growing up. <laughs> but uh, other than that, 450 CGI shots, despite the goal not to use them, which was their goal. And I always say go on location because those those scenes, and I know it's a lot to ask, but go get dysentery. Okay, because those scenes in Tunisia and Raiders just looked great. I and mean, even but- in Jordan and at the end of Last Crusade, you know, those scenes, it all looks great. When you CGI it up, uh, that doesn't always work for me. A lot of CGI matte paintings in this. I get it in Empire Strikes Back. Also, their career, their, the matte painting is the Millennium Falcon. They don't have a Millennium Falcon riding around. But if you just need a waterfall and you go shoot it and then you put it in a green screen, it's just, it kind of doesn't work for me. I'd say go to the locations. Unfortunately, Spielberg supposedly wanted to stay close to family, so they never even left the U.S. for shooting oh, this movie. that's really interesting. Yeah. I, it seemed like they did, at least the way they portray it in the documentary, they did do some location shooting for sure well they went to brazil to shoot a waterfall to then cgi in a scene they shot on a soundstage well you know? they also did the whole the whole monkey thing the whole fight in the forest that's all done in hawaii correct yeah which is america yeah well okay that's true <laughs> well played that's true well played that's true. all right but all the, right. the college marshall college was yale so yeah. they they did shoot a part of there and of course they should point out um, it's uh, not the best news, but of course, uh, you know, my, you may know my wife passed away uh, in 2019, and where we held her funeral was where they shot the wedding scene at the end of uh, Crystal Skull. So I didn't know that at the time, didn't wasn't planning at the time. And what's even weirder is she was such a huge Bill Murray fan that that's the the temp the uh, temple, the little cathedral right next door in the same complex, the smaller church is where they had the wedding at the end of What About Bob. So, but. You know, you don't get a lot of Indian... For a guy who does a tour of movie locations in L.A., there aren't a lot from the entire Indiana Jones <laughs> franchise here, no. and except for that one. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, that the uh, the first Christian church of North Hollywood. So you wander in there on a Sunday morning, watch a service, but then look around and go, this is where Indiana Jones got married. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So yeah. I am very interested to... Uh, and, of course, you know, I won't ask any questions, but I am very interested to know how they handle in Dial of Destiny the fact that he does have a son, and he did get married. I, I don't know what they, that answer is. Obviously, you do. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to know how that all pans out. Because I'll tell you this. I like Shia LaBeouf. I like his performance in this movie. I believe his performance. I think he delivers. And, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I actually don't have anything negative to say about Shia LaBeouf's performance in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I like his character. He did. That's the problem. Uh, he said... Um you know, Spielberg told him, look, there's a time to be a human being and have an opinion, then there's a time to sell cars, because what LaBeouf wasn't doing was selling cars. He was saying things like, yeah, you know, we, we dropped the ball and all this, and I know the fan base was really disappointed. You can blame Spielberg, you can blame some whatever, but it's really me, uh, the actor that's supposed to sell each moment. And Ford was just like, boy, you, you handled that wrong. And I guess Spielberg was really put off by that, and so you don't get any more LaBeouf in the Indiana Jones franchise. Wow. From what I've heard. But they all were kind of down on this. They weren't like all champs, you know, like Lucas was saying, we're gonna they're going to throw tomatoes at us. David Kep said he knew he was going to get hammered with a lot of the things he wrote. Oh, so it was that's like, interesting. Well, so they kind of... Keep writing until they get what you want. Well, I will say, um, you know, I think most of us who've been around filmmaking and, and making films, making media, whatever, I think we, and especially with, you know, the current state of things with the writer's strike and all of that, I think we understand that it starts with the script. That's the foundation. 
You know, that's the that's the thing you build your house on, right? Yeah. And one of the things that came out of the the watching the behind the scenes was that there was a whole section where they're like, yeah, we didn't know what to call the movie. We're a little, and at one point, they each, uh, Spielberg and Lucas, uh, and I think one other, maybe it was Frank Marshall, one of the producers, uh, was like, uh, they wrote out like 25 different titles. I'm like, guys, <laughs> if you can't even think of the title, what's going on inside? <laughs> like... Yeah. Oh my goodness. That that was a little actually they they played it off like it was funny, but I'm like, no, that's that's not a good thing. <laughs> they had five titles just to throw fans off when they were shooting, though. Mm-hmm. So they did do that uh, just because you didn't want to say, "Indy, film in here," and then you get a thousand right, people yeah, showing up. Yeah. The City of the Gods, which was actually the name I think of an early Darabont script. That uh, actually would have been a great name of this movie. Yeah. You could have named it that. The Destroyer of Worlds, The Fourth Corner of Earth, The Lost City of Gold, and The Quest for the Covenant were all just names that would try and throw people off. Indiana Jones and The Lost City of Gold would have been fine. Yeah. And then an extra spilled secrets to a newspaper and was taken to court, so don't screw with Lucasfilm. The settlement is unknown, but documents that were stolen from Spielberg's office in L.A., uh, the sheriff's office got into it, tracked down the thief, and he got two years and four months in prison for stealing... Uh, all this stuff from Spielberg's office and potentially trying to leak it about what the wow. movie was all about. Wow. Yeah, and good. You don't do that. Yeah, no, that's, I mean. Come on. Yeah. Screw with my yeah. movies, two years. Yeah, that's not four okay. Four months in prison. That's not okay. That's not yeah. okay. But let's get down to the cast because Ford, 64 years old here, worked out three hours a day. I mean, even here on Dial of Destiny, I hear that he was up at 5 a.m. going for a you know, 20 mile bike ride and Mads Mikkelsen was like, I can't even keep up with the guy. So like, <laughs> uh, I mean, super inspirational. I mean, all of the, there's, there's a lot of actors who are, are you know, of course have aged quite a lot. I just heard this, uh, uh, interview, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus has uh, a podcast, uh, mm-hmm. called wiser than me that I just found. And she interviews Jane Fonda. It's a great interview. And, and Jane Fonda is like 85 and, and my mom is 85. And I'm like, that's a very different 85 yep, than my yep. mom. <laughs> so I look at my hometown and it's a whole, a lot different. Yeah, yeah, you got to you got to do what you love. You got to be who you are, and you got to keep moving, guys. Got to keep yeah. moving. No, when you stop, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ford worked out for two weeks with the whip to get that back into shape, and ate a high. He always says he's he's boring. You know, I don't don't eat dinner with me. I just eat fish and vegetables, and so that was a high protein diet to get himself mm. keep himself in shape. Uh, he wanted to show age, but help viewers relax about aging by show that he could move and fight and do all this stuff. I love that. Still, so. I love that. And I read that the studio wanted a CGI whip, and he wasn't having any of that. We'll see. If, I don't know if that was true or not. Oh, why but, the studios? <laughs> why do they ever even we, say any of that? Just sign the have check we determined they have and dumb let ideas? the people who have yeah. already made three hit films make the film. Well, what's the line in this movie? It's like, uh, Mutt says, what are you, like 80? And of course, now he is eighty, and he's Indiana Jones again. So right. you can't yes. slow him down. Yes, uh, no Pat Roach in this one. Remember, Pat was the uh, guy who fought Indy at the plane. Yeah, and then he was the guy who got pulled into the rock crusher and that. But he he died in '04, unfortunately. So mm, we didn't get him for this one. I'm assuming he would have played the uh, Russian that he often gets in the fight yeah. with throughout the film, who ultimately gets eaten by bugs. Yeah, that guy yeah. <laughs> apparently. Worked out like mad to get that part, too. He wasn't always that big, but he's like, I got the chance, and he really bulked up. Former Cirque du Soleil uh, oh, really? performer. Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Uh, Connery was enjoying retirement and so turned down a cameo. John Reese davies also turned down appearing in the wedding scene. It is weird to not have Sala there at the wedding when you think about how good friends they are, but I yeah. guess the part wasn't big, so he said, ah, forget it. Wow. Uh, again, this is all internet, but 
it's got to I mean, be some I feel like, I, you know, that's one of those ones, like, at the budget level that they were at, I feel like, let's throw in another $100,000, whatever. you got to get Sala <laughs> yeah. at, the, at at least the wedding scene. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't even, you know, that didn't even occur to me. But, yeah, that's right. That, yeah. He is missing from that, and he should have been in that. Yeah, they're buds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some of the moments I like, actually, we talked about the ones we don't like. You're a teacher? Part-time. Yep. Good line. Um, Spielberg actually talks about that moment and in, in, in praising Harrison Ford as an actor and saying, you know, there's things that, that, that Harrison does that I, I don't direct him to do. I don't tell him to do. He just does it. And that was one of the ones, you know, part-time, and he kind of does this little little grin, and he's like, I didn't, I didn't tell him to do that. That's him. Yeah, he just knows it. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, yeah, that's that's what a great actor does. So, yeah. Karen Allen's casting was confirmed at Comic-Con. I remember the actors came out, Spielberg and Harrison Ford. I may have been just the two of them, but they were going to talk about someone joining the cast. And then uh, Karen Allen came out, and everyone went nuts in a little video thing they played at nice. Hall H. But I remember it was then that Spielberg said, uh, we're making this one for the fans. And I remember my friend Mike going, ooh, <laughs> not why you make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that may have been the, the early flag. He always thought that was the early flag, that this was not going to be so hot. That's an interesting point. Maybe that's maybe that's the lesson with all of the Disney stuff and all of the even Dial of Destiny and all of these things, right? Don't make a movie for the fans. Don't make a show for the fans. Don't do anything for the fans. Yeah. Do it because you have something more to say. Do it because you think there's something more in these characters, in this world, something more to get out of this, something more to share. Not because, oh, the fans want it. The fans will always want it, and they and hopefully if it's good enough, they should keep wanting it. That doesn't necessarily mean you should do it. Yeah. 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 Well, they came. The fans showed up. Uh, 317 million domestic, 790 million worldwide on mm. that 185 million budget. So uh, worth the money. Yeah. Uh, but the second highest grossing film of 08, do you know what the first was? Did you, did you look at it? Or uh, was don't it? look at it. Oh, oh. Can you I, guess? I, I, oh, wait. The number one movie that wasn't Crystal of Skull. I, I, Crystal I, of I, Skull. I, I Crystal I of peaked. Skull. Oh, I you peaked. did. Dark it's Knight. the Dark Knight. Yeah. yeah. Which is a fantastic movie. Dark Knight is an excellent movie. And then Iron Man was number two domestically, but worldwide gross, Indy was number two. Hmm. Uh, but it, yeah, it's always weird to see like Iron Man worldwide behind like Hancock and Madagascar two. But you know, the, the, those was the times. Yeah. Then Marvel kicked it in, and now always oh, show up in the top. I mean, top honestly, spots. Iron Man, I love, I love that movie when it came out. Oh, but yeah. I, I, I think at the time, Great it, year. honestly, I think at the time it didn't do as well because I just don't think that that people knew who Iron Man was. That yeah. you know, if you weren't a comic person. You'd be like, what the hell's Iron Man? Well, that's so great. That's what's so great about Marvel is that they led this whole MCU with Iron Man and Captain America. That's not Batman and Superman. Right. That's a, that's a challenge, and they knocked it out of the park. Yep. You know, crazy. Uh, 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ebert loved it, which was interesting. I love Ebert, and I was like, okay, Ebert. You Man, I would love to revisit that. What did they say about oh, it? Oh, you can go to RogerEbert.com, read oh, all his reviews. I'd be, yeah. I'd really be interested to know what they said that they loved about it. Because, again, as I said, I think there's a lot to love in this film. I'm, just real quick, one of the things, one of the images that's that's fantastic is uh, Mutt riding that motorcycle coming out of the steam yeah, looking total, looking yeah. very wild one yeah i mean i mean yes it's a it's a it's a rip off they you know re, but they recreated it and it's yeah, beautiful it's and it's for a new generation and it's great i love it yeah yeah and uh, i don't mind aliens yep 
I mean, of all the things... Interdimensional I, I can, beings. Correct. Interdimensional aliens. But, uh, I mean, again, Indiana Jones, giant spaceship, the, the, in the same shot? I'm cool with that. And look, you had a giant box of God. You had uh, voodoo dolls. You had an 800-year-old knight. You can't, if you can't handle aliens, that's on you. So. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad they uh, they went with that. I, and there no was problem. there was some stuff in that section that they you know they they built practical aspects of the set you know that whole thing with the door that comes apart and like the 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 sand thing where the you know the the mm-hmm. big built I mean all of that was built I mean that those things weren't seed now the stuff around it obviously was CG but those things weren't CG and it's like oh my god those are always the things that hurt Harrison Ford yeah it's a shame he'll get his leg cut and it's like you should have CGI'd that door oh yeah. well. But uh, <laughs> uh, there was a $150 million marketing budget on top of that. So they're mm-hmm. lucky it made 790 because it was almost the entire, the domestic take was almost entirely spent mm. before they even opened. But uh, one of the things they included in that was Kyle Bush's NASCAR vehicle was themed out for the movie. Nice. And then he won. <laughs> the Dodge Challenger 500. That's awesome. Our own Justin Bowler. We, we should shout out to Justin Bowler now that we've done these four shows with him doing our recap he is our indiana he is indiana jones justin bowler that's right and he was also part of disneyland's indiana jones summer of hidden mysteries which they did the summer of 2008 before the film opened or during after it was open too all summer they did that so i knew justin bowler from of course uh, special effects stages at universal studios and of course he was doing the indiana jones show at that time long time contributor to the movie guys yes and um i happened to go to disneyland with my wife uh, and, uh, I, I was, I was, lo- we were walking through that, that jungle area and I looked up and, and I'm like, what's, what's going on on that building over there? And of course it's Justin Bowler dressed up as Indiana Jones and, and he's running through and because they used to start that show outside of the show well, area. Well, they would have a show, but then they'd also just have happenings. Yes. You'd just be walking through Adventureland and on a roof, Indy would have to fight something. Yeah, it's he dumb. was doing yeah. a whole thing and he was jumping and it was like all this stuff and I mean, Justin's doing all these stunts and it was just this incredible thing and then and then we go and see him in the show and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Oh, and by the way, when we do have Justin on the show, which we will for That's the, the, for the for, final yeah. uh, episode where we're hoping to anyway, um, remind Remind me to have him tell you the story of the line that he kept messing up for a while on that show, which is a, it's a hilarious. Anyway, I, I thought that, but it was really funny and 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 honestly, seeing you know, seeing Indiana Jones live in person, it was was fun. It was great. Yeah, I loved I'm it. Glad you know. Justin, oops, yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so I eventually get the Blu-ray of this because it's in the pack with all four. So I bought the four. Uh, of course. The Complete course. Adventures, I believe they called it, so now I have that. South Park was very unkind to the movie. I don't know if you remember the scene. Oh, I don't they, think I saw that. Ooh, well, it, in typical South Park fashion, they they spoofed the accused by having Spielberg and Lucas and uh, a pinball machine. It's not good. Uh <laughs> That's rough. Maybe we'll cut that. A little rough. Uh, the term "nuke the fridge" becomes the new "jump the shark." <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's what it is. And Temple of Doom won Best Visual Effects. Nothing really here, uh, Oscar-wise, and not much else. And I mean, I think one BAFTA award for visual effects. But John Williams won a Grammy for Mutt's theme, mm. and then Best Costumes at the Saturn Awards. And then worst sequel at the Razzies. Eh, uh, not what you want to well, be winning, but uh, that All was right. it. Uh, you know what? I, I think my last thought is going to be this. Give it another watch. Anybody out there who wants to you know, dive into these movies, g- give it another watch and just let let yourself suspend your disbelief and have some fun with it. And 
I know you you doing the Ford Fiesta, you got really into like just watching Harrison Ford. And I was thinking about that statement when I was watching this movie. For me, it was more about just getting into the movie. Not even just watching him, but let me just let me just enjoy the fact that I get to see another Indiana Jones film and be happy about that. And I was. That's and a good and take. so in the end I, I thought that was I thought that was really lovely. That's and and I did. I enjoyed that. And he got one more coming. Yeah. He yeah, baby. <laughs> but for now that wraps Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the prequel to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Well, I, I'm gonna act like Crystal Skull is a sequel to Last Crusade. That's healthier. <laughs> All right, we're going to be back. We're going to be back with one more show uh, after we see Di- or after I see Dial of Destiny. <laughs> um, of course, I'm going to see it with you, which I am excited about yeah. doing. We're going to have a great night. It's going to be super fun. You can find me on Instagram at Creative Motion Entertainment and my website, of course, CreativeMotionEntertainment.com. Be sure to chime in with your thoughts at TheMovieGuys.net at countdown to 5 show at gmail.com or on social media, which includes Facebook.com for forward slash countdown to five at countdown to five on Instagram and at countdown to five show number two, number five show on Twitter. And of course you can get the show at YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and of course the movie plus all the old episodes of countdown to nine, which again, go watch. It's super fun. Just yeah. like this. So uh, I mean, it's Stitcher, Deezer, Castro, you're talking about where box. you can where you can get our, our yes. yeah okay I was like I was like are these what, is this a Vin Diesel film I don't know <laughs> it's all everywhere you I mean Pandora did we say Spotify yeah that's everywhere yeah so let's go listen to the show we got plenty of episodes uh, out there uh, and of course uh, you can find uh, he mentioned the movieguys.net please check that out for everything if you like uh, Indiana Jones movies we got we just put up the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom version of that show yeah. up there well thanks for listening and we'll see you right back in this space for the next show or the space between spaces oh stop it